Just a quick word of warning. There are a few choice phrases that escape from a couple of people's mouths during this one, but I'm sure you'll understand. We're just having a catch up between mates, aren't we? That sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, if there's any youngers listening, I wouldn't be over worried, but there's a couple of bits here and there. Enjoy. And welcome to the latest episode of Gas It Out. We're recording this. Uh, we haven't actually put out the Guy Martin episode, uh, and I'm still uh, basically I'm still having to graft with it uh, because it sounds like he's submerged in mud and got a pair of socks in his mouth or something like that. Anyway, but but it should be out uh, with you very soon, and you'll probably have heard it by the time you're hearing this. So I don't even know I am saying it. My name's Gavin Emmett. On the other end of uh, yeah, the. Uh, Crackly line this morning. He's Neil Hodgson. Nodgy, how you doing? Good morning, mate. Good, good thank you, Gav. Uh, I can't believe you've not got the Guy Martin one out uh, yet. Yeah. What's, I mean, what's your excuse? What's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my goodness me. We had so much fun um, doing that, but it was just stress, wasn't it? A lot oh. of stress. Uh, just calling. I mean, we must have made about... 15 phone calls um, to him. But anyway, but by the by... We knew it was... Hey, Gav, we knew it wasn't going to be easy. And that's not, what's fun about it. And it wasn't easy to hear him either. Off, uh, no, we, I know. we had to call I him know. on a phone line in the end because of signal and Wi-Fi and all these sorts of things. And uh, we did what we can. We hope you enjoyed it anyway. Uh, we hope you're going to enjoy this one too. Um, we're looking forward to this one because it's a bit different. Up to now, we've suppose, spoken to racers... Uh, but not today. We'll get on to our guest in a second. How are you anyway, Neil Hodgson? What have you been up to? Do you know, I've had a really good week. I've um, I've not had a drink. So what, what day is it? It's Thursday. Get ready for this. My name's I've Neil not Hodgson. Had a drink. Yeah, I've, I've been sober for four days. Su- <laughs> it is four days since <laughs> Sunday night. What a difference it makes. I've been sleeping good. I think since the whole lockdown, I have, I mean, I've self-medicated. I can't lie. And you know my girlfriend, Victoria, she loves to drink anyway, so she needs no encouragement anyway. But um, we, we said at the start of this week, on Monday, shall we try, at, you know, do, with all our willpower, to not have a drink until Friday night? And it looks like we've cracked it. We've one cra- more night to go. We've cracked it. I think we've cracked it. No, seriously, one more night to go. I, I'm confident I can get through tonight. And then I'm going to be destroyed over the weekend. I'm going to be leathered. We, we know we're on telly again. I'm so proud of you anyway, Neil. I am very, very proud of you and your commitment to this. Um, but you, you know we're on TV again this weekend for the oh, greatest yeah. race. Oh, and we've got some interviews. Yeah. In theory, in theory, I'm getting to interview Valentino Rossi uh, this weekend. So uh, that's, that's I, I hope that happens because it was supposed to happen last week and it didn't happen. Uh, and uh, it's one of those funny things, isn't it? When you're, you're, you're dealing with um, riders, you're quite precious, you lot. Come on, aren't you? Well, you can't rely on a rider, can you? If they say they're going to do an interview, especially mm. more so now at a racetrack, it's a little bit more organised, a bit more regimented with, you know, PR people and all that sort of stuff. But when you're relying on a rider to actually look at what time it is after they've agreed, you know, you've set up a time and a date to do an interview, it's a bit more difficult. And then, of course, if you're Valentino Rossi, 
it's sort of everyone wants he's ready when he exactly and he'll be ready when he's ready but there must be something surreal and for you I mean it's is it going to be one of those like this could be the pinnacle of my career your career going oh my god I'm sat in my office stroke attic at home speaking to Valentino Rossi how cool is this in my pants in my pants (laughs) in your pants I had to do it in my pants obviously yeah, obviously, do why it. not? Yeah. Do it, do it, yeah, do it. <clears throat> there is no way I'm going to be doing that. But, um, yeah, surreal surreal in a way, um, fun in another way. So, uh, yeah, that that's to come this weekend. Uh, so, we hope you enjoyed The Greatest Race. Honestly, it's, it's uh, mind-blown how it's all been put together. And uh, we're already thinking of things, because it looks like this lockdown's going to go on that little bit longer and thinking of things that we might be able to do afterwards. So, fingers crossed we can... Uh, Keep bringing things to everyone who, who watches on BT Sport. Um, just a bit on the news front, Neil. A couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, yeah. First of all, Andre Yanone has been given an 18-month sentence. Um, the FIM press release itself was pretty dry, basically saying, we've reviewed the thing, uh, the, the the details of it, the... Uh, the oh, sorry, it doesn't even say that, it just says he is banned from the Malaysian Grand Prix last year, the Valencian Grand Prix, and for 18 months from the date, which was uh, mid-December. So that's a comeback date of June, mid-June. Um, Aprilia have put out a press release defending him to the hilt, saying ah, they, he's vindicated. They said it was contaminated food source, which I, I am surprised by, but that, they're standing by their man, saying they will support him uh, in his appeal to, to CAS, the Court for Arbitration for Sport. Uh, so that looks like it will be appealed. What's your take on it, Neil? As it stands, he's banned until June 2021. Um, and considering where this season goes, that might not actually be that far away, really, is it, in terms of racing? Um, but he may well appeal it. What's your take on it all? Well, it's obviously a mess. Why is it, Gav, in these situations, it always turns to utter shit, really? It just does, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's rare that something happens and... You know, like obviously he's failed the drug test. That that that's clear. Sample A and sample B were both had anabolic steroids in. We've looked at him as an individual. He looks like a bodybuilder all of a sudden. So it's one of them. There's no smoke without fire. So he's failed it. Obviously he's appealed it, but it turned into this sort of mess where it's such a it's so it's a grey area. It's really unclear. To talk about food contamination. To talk about hair samples. At the end of the day. Andrea Rianone is a talented MotoGP rider who, as a person, is an absolute fool. He's done everything he can to destroy his own career. He's not very well liked in the paddock because of his arrogance and the way he is. And even if it's only an 18 months ban, it's looking like there probably won't be any races this year. So that means from the middle of June next year, he's eligible to race. I can't see a MotoGP team touching him. But, uh, they are Aprilia, not that. We're, we're not that desperate for riders. Aprilia though. Said, Aprilia defended him. They're trying to do the right thing. Yeah. But you wouldn't. You just move him on. You just go because by then, by the June of 2021, there'll be a better, younger, faster, that, that's the more reliable me. person. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and it'll 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 be into super bikes. There's too much 100%. talent underneath, isn't there, bikes. to to, to um, prevent him. Um, yeah, coming straight back. Uh, I'd I'd have thought anyway, but it's uh, yeah. You, I think you're right in in uh, in some ways. He's you know he he could have had the Ducati ride was 
um, put out of there not because of talent at all in fact quite the opposite it was not the talent that didn't keep him that, that was the, the strange thing and same at Suzuki yeah. really um, and it's but frustrating he, but he is he's a knob isn't he he is a knob in life you meet knobs and he's a knob don't say knob one more time he's an utter knob he oh, is though going to have to put one of those disclaimers again on the front Anytime, anytime you, you spend, you, you know, you're in his company, you, you in and around him, he just acts like a fool, and you just think, God, you, you had what a waste. Best experience. Uh, that was one of my favourite ever experiences with Andre Iannone when we made a program, um, which was over in Italy at Ducati. We got the chance. Uh, well, I didn't. You got the chance to go and test the Desmosedici. I was your crew chief, uh, but you got the chance to go out, didn't you, on the on his bike. <laughs> And you spoke to him straight afterwards. Now, bearing in mind, I know you're World Superbike Champion, and I think most people, that the riders, are well aware that you've raced in MotoGP on two occasions in your career. Um, And, but, uh, I mean, he didn't, did he? (laughs) I've I've tried to be polite here, Neil. He sort of came up to me and went, oh, well, you know... I don't know exactly his wording, but it was something along the lines of, you know, every rider, you know, like you should at least one time get the opportunity to ride a MotoGP bike. And I looked at him as if to go, you what? I have, to, you know, it I've had down a few you times, mate. You, 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 since that day, <laughs> since that day. No, but that was the same day that I saw him walk out the back of the truck at that test. Oh, yeah. Sorry, at the back of the garage at this test, a private test. And they were them stood there, aged about 13 years old. Right, you and they ran there. over. You, you cut out there. There were some kids stood, weren't they, at the back? Yeah, the, the kids were stood there. Three lads stood there, 13 years old. Ran over to Andrea Anoni, their hero, asked him for an autograph, and he shooed them away. And that was the one. We, me and Andrea Anoni didn't have a good day that day because when I witnessed that and he sort of disrespected me, I just thought, God, you are an absolute fool. So, yeah, I'm not a fan. But. You know, like I've said before, I said in one of the earlier podcasts when I was saying good things about John McPhee, I said, don't worry, I won't always say, oh, I love him. They're all great. You know, like, I'll be honest. The idea of this podcast is on TV, sometimes you have to, let's say, take the sharp edges, the rough edges off. On the podcast, we can be a bit more open and honest, can't we? I mean, you don't take the rough edges off that much. <laughs> no. To be fair. To be fair. Yeah, but I'm not going to call him a knob on being No, sport, I mean, yeah, I? you would get into trouble like that. There would be, uh, you definitely wouldn't be the grandma's favourite anymore after that one, would you? Um, and just another <laughs> just another thing to move on from Andrea um, is Carmelo Espaletta has, has said, well, uh, there's an interview again with the Italian press who, who seem to be backing Andrea Ioni quite a lot. There's obviously interest there in some way, but um, yeah, quite interesting the read on that one. Uh, but Carmelo saying that look, we probably won't have all the races. Um, you know, we, we only, 13 is our contract, um, but we'll do as many as we can. And that's looking increasingly likely um, that we're not going to get going possibly July, August. I mean, even that seems optimistic to me now, where we're at. Yeah, yeah. I'm not the person to speak to you about think, this. You don't think there's going to be any, do, they? do there's you? There's going to be none. There's no, this is not going to be cleared up <clears> by... <throat> by October, November. It's just not, is it? Unless they, they find a vaccine. Bear in mind, it takes what date is it today? To it's test se- one. It's se- oh, you've gone again. Can you hear me, Gav? I can, you know, I can now. All right, sorry. Yeah, yeah. it's the 2nd of April. I just I can't see it. and it's. I just can't see there being any races this year. I think they'll 
once they get to uh, October, November time, there's no point in doing three rounds, is there? Or five, trying to squeeze five rounds in. I don't know what that's going to achieve. They'll probably just say, let's start yeah. in March uh, You say you don't know what it's going to achieve, but the, the thing is, there's a lot of livelihoods and money at stake, isn't there, in terms of what uh, Dorna would have to give back to broadcasters for not having been able to provide any races this year. Um, interesting, yesterday Wimbledon got cancelled here in the UK. Wimbledon's a massive event in tennis. It's massive in this country. And they had, the All England Club, had pandemic insurance. And it said, they reckon it saved them 200 million in what they'd have to wow. pay out, right, if it didn't go wow. ahead. So you can imagine the amount of money that's going around with a championship that goes on. Wimbledon's two weeks. I know it's a huge, huge event. But imagine an event that goes on for nine, ten months like MotoGP. The sort of figures that are being thrown around there. Uh, yeah. So uh, I can imagine there's a desperation to do something, if anything, you know, in some way. Yeah, I, I, I just can't see it happening because we're we're involved in a world championship. So it's not even like if the UK gets right, that, itself that's, sorted that's out where you're and right. under control. Yeah, it looks The problem like... is obviously you've got the world to comply, haven't you? And the exactly. The USA every, every and... Country, Japan, exactly. Japan has it's gone just, back on back yeah. up on an upward curve and those kinds of things. And uh, yeah, it, that that's another interesting one for me. Um, in Formula One, they said they wouldn't have any races without one driver there. And I just wonder right. what the, the case would be. I might have said it in a previous podcast, but you know, the majority are Spanish and Italians. <laughs> I honestly do wonder if yeah. you think, look, we need to get something away. Uh, and it's just with the anyway. It's a it's a it's a unknowns. Um, let's. I tell you what. Our guest will be able to have an opinion on this, and we'll ask her uh, in a minute. Now, up up to now, we have only her. had who, who are we speaking to? Her. What is it? Anna Carrasco. It isn't who Anna Carrasco, but I'd like to get Anna on here. Actually, I, I'm a, a big yeah. fan of Anna. Um, no, but it's someone in the industry who we know very well, and we're close to, and we know a lot of people have actually asked us already uh, to get her on. She doesn't do interviews. Um, so we thought, well, surely, come on, you can do one with us. People in the UK will be very familiar with Susie Perry, who is our uh, colleague at BT Sport. She presents the programme for us. Uh, she worked previously in World Superbikes, in Speedway alongside uh, two. Um, Formula One, she's done. Many people in the UK will know her from that too. Done quite a bit of radio. But she's our mate, Pez. And uh, we thought, well, so many people were asking, weren't they, Neil? So we thought we have to get it's, Susie it's, on. It's, it's so funny, the num number of people. You, you know how popular somebody is by when, literally, as soon as we started this podcast, so like we're only, what are we, in, two what? weeks into yeah. it, the, the number of requests we've had for Susie Perry. She's so popular. Everybody loves her. Um, what 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 favorite is she? She's she's like she's like your, your biker's favorite. Your biker's favorite. She, yeah, your biker's favorite. Everyone loves Susie. She's a pleasure for us to work with. We laugh every day of work. We are so lucky. The BT team. We're all close. We all get on. And Susie's sort of the kingpin of that. She um she she's our little leader. We love her to bits, don't we? Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering if the beeping in the background might be her uh, sending me a message now saying, Oi, oi, you said you'd call me. Um, uh, this is me, this is me. It was Susie saying, this is me. All right, I'm going to give her a hello. It's yeah, a little yeah. wave as well. Right, so instead of doing that, do you know what I'm going to do? There's no point chatting anymore about it. I'm going to uh, add her to this call.
you're doing you're doing a good job leading the way, Gav. You get Susie on. Um, I spoke to Gav last night really briefly and said, "Have you prepared any questions for her?" And he's like, "Well, we'll just chat about bikes." <laughs> and he went, "Have you prepared any oh. questions, Dan?" Yeah, you I, went, I don't you know went briefly. I, I, I feel like I'm more prepared for Susie Perry than uh, than anyone else. <laughs> you did have a lot of good good questions. I can't <laughs> wait. Oh, oh, hello, hello. I think we might have uh, movement on the other end. But that was a rubbish question, really. Yay! Hey. There she is. There she is. There's only one <laughs> Susie Perry. The most awkward thing, Neil, is when you walk around the paddock singing that. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I bet. I bet you do. Um, you're over in France, aren't you, Susie? How is it down there? Uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's actually beautiful today. It's been raining non-stop for the last two weeks where I've been locked in my house here. But it's nice today. And I've got to um, I've got to film some links for our Sunday show. Oh, right. OK, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that in a bit as well. Um, this is a case, by the way, Susie, of you, the hunter becoming the hunted, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I, <clears throat> I did say to Neil when he rang and asked me if I wanted to do this, I said no, first of all. <laughs> oh, I'm not offended. <laughs> I don't like it. No, no, it's not personal. I just don't like being asked questions. Come on, it's and personal. Because I know what you want to get out of it, because I know, because I normally do it, um, I always feel like I, I'm not delivering, so I tend to not do interviews very often. But I thought, as it's you two, Muppets. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what, what, he's the, what an honour. It, it is the Muppet show, isn't it, really, between us two it, goons it's, on this end? It's, it's, you know what's really good, though? Um, the fact that that we've all known each other for so long. And I was thinking the other day that Neil was on my first live broadcast that I did at Brands Hatch. And funnily enough, he was moaning. <laughs> I mean, what a rarity that is. What, I wouldn't have believed it. What chances of that, Susie? Hang on, Andrea Iannone wasn't even born then. Was uh, it he's just had a massive rant, Susie, before we spoke to you about Andrea Iannone. Um, a few swear words have been banded about. Um, the, the way best to put it is he's a fool. Fool in, in Best Burnley. So he's been moaning already this morning. Well, it's um, it's a long time that I mean that's career ending, isn't it? I, I, I would think in terms of top level racing, it's going to be hard. It has to, come to back be from, from that ban, really. Eighteen months from uh, December, so that's middle of June. It mean he'd miss, depending on what the calendar is next year. It might start a little bit later, perhaps. But uh, Aprilia have said they'd stand by him, and they they also said in their press release that in 2021 they'd be interested in keeping him. I'm. I'm shocked by that, but I suppose they've got to do their bit if they're appealing to uh, the court for arbitration for sport and that. Well, that's the thing. They're, they're going to appeal. Uh, but even then, you know, that's still a year from, well, over a year from now before they'll heal the appeal. So uh, it's, a, it's a big mess, isn't it, really? So Neil was swearing about that. And... He's a bloody fool. He's a bloody fool, Susie. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's a ridiculous situation to be in. Um, on top of other ridiculous situations. And, and it's such a shame because he's such a stunningly fast rider and obviously incredibly naturally talented. Um, Neil, if we just go back to Neil for a minute, the other vain one in this conversation, um, he was complaining in the Friends Hatch that he was being interviewed by Jonathan Green, not me. Do you remember that, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> Why does that well, not surprise me? He was getting, Why have I got Greeny? And I, I want the girl. That's what he said. Oh hey, my you, God. Could say, you, you could actually say that back then. Imagine saying that now. You'd be like, oh, you can't say that. Uh, when hey, when, when so, was that, Susie? Susie? That was Susie. back in 
you, you took the paddock by storm. That's all I remember back then. <laughs> by storm. It was back in 1997 when we were all young and pumped, full of collagen and beautiful. <laughs> talking about Neil, obviously. And actually, Neil could do it more now, couldn't he, really? That collagen and Botox got, and all that sort of stuff. I've got stroke face. <laughs> Who is it that calls me Gordon Ramsay? Is that Keith? <laughs> yeah, with the, yeah, there is actually a photo, though, where you've, you've got a very looky-likey appearance of, uh, of Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. I have to say, I'm sorry about Sometimes that. First thing in the morning, you know, when we go get in the car to go to the track, mm. Neil's face and my face, if I've not put enough makeup on, looks like it's still buffering, doesn't it, Neil? <laughs> it does. <laughs> what it's... I like about you, Susie, is you'll go, you look tired. <laughs> it's, yeah, he's still on dial-up connection. It hasn't got quite got, broadband's not brought it down yet, just yet. Exactly. Um, I exactly. am, I, I'm forgetting those... Uh, in-car chats, Susie. I'm always the the driver. Everyone always asks me why I'm the driver. Why am I? I I, I wouldn't have. Why am I always the driver? Why does I that happen? Know. Why are you? Because you're good. You're good, Gab. You're a good driver. You know. Whoa. You, you like the sort of what? angry, angry driver. Come on, Susie. The most angry driver. He's the angry man, isn't he? Road rage, Gav. No. He only turns into golf, Gav. Road rage, yeah. Gav. When we get near to the track and yeah. there's loads yeah. of traffic. Yeah. Well, that's all right, isn't it? Because can you imagine if you were driving, Neil, we'd just have you moaning from start to finish. I'll tell you what, Gav, right, let me just tell you, right, everyone thinks Gav's lovely, <laughs> right? He does not like security guards. That's not true. He that's is. not That's not true. I don't like officiousness. What about the Italian one? Officiousness. Yeah, what about the Italian one? <laughs> let, let me just quickly tell the story. So we turned up at Mizano year one, went, went to, like, P1, parking one, got there, the guy went, Sorry, mate, but in Italian, it's full. It wasn't anyway, full. It wasn't full. So, we could so see Gab's spaces. Out of, Gab's out of the car arguing with this chap <laughs> in, in full Italian, like with arms were waving. It was beautiful to watch. I was loving it. Anyway, Gab gets in the car and he went, we're not getting in. We've got to go to P2. All right, no problem. Where is it? It's just around the corner. So we drive round to P2, like Starsky and Oach, pull up, and there's a guy stood there in front of P2 with a barrier right in front. So Gab drives straight up to him. And, like, gives him the nod to go, let us in. And the guy went, no, you've got a P1 pass, basically. You've got to go to P1. <laughs> so Gav's literally, like, he's so angry. Gav's out the car going, I've been to P1. I've been to P1. It's full. They've sent us to P2. And he went, and he's going, no, 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 no. I can't do the Italian accent. Anyway, do the accent the every thing, time. You've got to do the accent. I mean, the Irish for John McVeigh was fantastic. Do the Italian accent. He's <laughs> it, it, like, uh, oh, no, he's not possible to come in today. So, <laughs> No, you're right. You can't do you it. You can't do that. <laughs> so, so Gav, literally, bear in mind, Gav's the main presenter. I think it was on the Friday, and we're on air in literally 40 minutes because we were late because it's trying to get into Mizano. So Gav does what any irrational person would do, just puts the car into gear and the guy's on the bonnet. And I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to end well. Oh, my God. I could not believe it. Only slow. We didn't do it at high speed. Yeah, you make it sound like a ploughed ploughed. We sort of nudged him onto the bonnets and off the side and he parked up. And then Gav argued with him and Gav went, look, we're TV, basically, we can't get in P1. And the guy was okay with it. It was weird. I'm like, oh, the police are coming now. But the the Italians are used to a bit of argy-bargy, aren't they? Oh, that was something else. That's why they want someone to argue with them. Yeah. (laughs) I think. You missed that one, Susie. I tell you, that was big time. It's not as bad as when we get to Phillip Island and we're all arguing before we've got through the gate. 
Oh, oh. Philip Island is um, the officiousness. That's it, isn't it? It's the officious. It's Jobsworth's. Yeah. Jobsworth's. They have a lot down there. We do love going to Philip Island so much, but it's particularly on going through the tunnel or being allowed to cross a road. Uh, so you're not allowed to on the not allowed to cross the road without stopping and having somebody let you do it. It's like a really officious green cross toad man, but yeah, it's sort of starts to spoil it until you see the track again and then you fall in love with it all over again. Is it your favourite track? Is it is it what sorry, my favourite track? In terms of actual tracks, is it your favourite layout? Sorry, I'm asking questions. I'm going oh, to say that. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> hey, listen to this. What about though this year when we got onto the car park and they were parking everybody bumper oh. to bumper? Oh my god. So, so this year we arrived, oh. and they, of course, you park next to each other as close as possible to save space. But what they were doing was parking people front bumper to back bumper in like a massive big block so obviously no one was able to get out and we got out we were just like well we're not parking like that because we won't be able to get out and the guy went don't talk to me as if i've got no common sense oh i couldn't stop laughing <laughs> don't laugh at me stop patronizing me it was just this is what i've been told to do oh man it was just beyond it was just beyond the realm wasn't it you just have to leave your car and walk out and then hope it's you know available when you get when you finish work, there were, don't people, you really? there were people stuck, weren't there? Later on, it was uh, hilarious. That was funny. I forgot about that. God, oh. There's so many of those stories over the years, though, aren't there? Sue? Like we do when we go away. It's tough, isn't it? All the travelling, and you've been doing it a long time, and all all the the travelling, not just on on MotoGP, but on Formula One as well. It's tough, isn't it? On uh, to do the whole travelling, however much it's our dream jobs. It's, a, it's really something that you never talk about. I mean, no. we're going to talk about it on the podcast. But, um, yeah, so I started back in 1997. That was that Brands Hatch mm. um, story that I was telling you to start with. And it is only, honestly, the travel that gets to you. Yeah. Because the job is immense. And when people go, you've got the green dream job, I go, I know, I know, I'm so lucky. I love it. And and I do, and that's why, well, we all do. That's why we've been doing it for so long. And that's why Neil's doing it now after, you know, being the actual person that was being interviewed. He's now turned into the broadcaster. Oh, I hope Jules will agree with that, Julian Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'll be getting a message, nope, he's not a broadcaster. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> no, it's the journalist annoyed about, isn't it? Journalist, So yeah. I think it's... I just think it's um, obviously the inevitable delays and um, mess ups happen when you travel a lot. And it's those sort of, it's that side of it that people never think of. Because they think you go to these beautiful places and then you like swan around, go to these great restaurants, do a little sightseeing tour. And you don't have time, obviously. You get there to the airport. Then you've probably got, you know, usually you've got a really long drive to get to the hotel, which it can be all right or not, depends. And then you get up at six and you go to the track. And then on a Sunday night, you finish. We do long hours, which is fine because we all love it anyway. And there's only one person that's ever biting at the bit to get in the car and go back to the hotel, isn't there? <laughs> it's none of us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Keith. And, um, <laughs> and then, you know, it's, you just go to the same places so you don't, you don't really see it. You don't see the, the area, unless you stay on later, which is fine if you're single and young and no commitments, but none of us are. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Was we all it, just want to get home, don't we? Was it? Well, yeah, I want to know, yeah. Suze. I don't think I've ever asked you though. Was it what you always wanted to do? 
Was it? I don't know. I I find this question really hard to answer, and it's a little bit of a dull answer, Gav. This is see, this is why I don't do these things. Um, it's not dull I, to find out isn't dull. Okay. I went to do a degree in business when I was young. Business mm, and dull, fine. dull. Sorry, go on, go on, go on, go on. Neil, stories. This is this is going to be one of those long stories with no ending. We're all asleep by the end of it. Uh, no, to go into, uh, I thought I was going to go into music promotion, like my father. Mm. Uh, I really wanted to go into the music industry, and um, while I was studying, I got offered a chance to go to Japan to be a model. This is so random, the story. And because um, I was doing a bit of modelling to pay for my university studies, which is polytechnic, actually, trying to be a bit posher than I am. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then I came back from Japan and I went to live, live in London and I sort of went down a different track. So I didn't end up doing music promotion. And then I got fed up of doing what I was doing, modelling and doing TV stuff and um, that advertising and commercials and all that kind of thing, you know, uh, which was really good fun. And I got to travel a lot doing that as well, but mainly like holiday brochures and things like that. Uh, in fact, my mum came back from the shop one day from, the, you know, when you used to actually go to a travel Yeah, when well, you went down Thomas Cook or whatever, God she rest came, his soul. This is when I lived in Wolverhampton and uh, she, she walked in, she went, I've just been down tra- uh, Thomas Cook and you're on the front cover of five different travel brochures. Brilliant. Brilliant. So um, it was. I was sort of like the archetypal girl next door, and I and I did really well. I was really lucky. I did really well in that sort of commercial corporate modelling world. Um, and then I got fed up, and I was hanging about with um, a great bunch of people. My friends then, and um, uh, my boyfriend at the time, who became my husband, was a, a massive biker, and we all rode bikes and went to British Superbikes, World Superbikes, spent a lot of time at sort of Mallory, Donington, places like that. And I loved it. I, and, I, and I followed it. And I, I just absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, as a kid, you know, obviously, we, I, I used to watch bike racing and Formula One when it was on grandstand and stuff. But it wasn't on all the time. Mm. Um, so my first sort of major kind of um, experience of going to see it physically go to see it was was kind of mid-90s sort of mid-20s my mid-20s and um I fell in love with it and I just wanted to be a part of it and I used to drive people mad going oh why don't they ask this and you know what you do at home when you're sitting on the armchair oh, like, I'm, oh, I'm awful to watch tv with oh. oh you are yeah any sport you're a yeah. nightmare yeah which is why you're doing the podcast now because there's no sport for you is there so you've I, got to do I've got to fill my time with something <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I used to go to, you know, and I used to know James Whittam and Neil McKenzie and um, various different people in the pit lane. And, you know, I, I, my friends just said to me, stop, stop whining about this and put something together and, and go and see Sky, it was at the time, who were covering it. And, and uh, so I did. I mean, that, that's sort of how it happened. So for a few years, I really wanted to be a part of it. And then I, I plucked up the courage to call the producer. And he said, who are you? I went, well, I'm nobody. I'm just a bike fan. <laughs> just wondering why you don't do this. Why don't you do that? You Maybe this, that and the other. And he said, why don't you come and see me? And I was just so fortunate. Um, his name is Martin Turner. And he then um, is a, a legend in television, actually, now. Hmm. Um, he invited me in for a, um, an interview. And I sat down with him, and I walked out with a job as a reporter. I mean, it's mad. And the, and the rest is history. On that. Yeah. Because then it's just a case of 
for you know all the, the British and World Superbikes, and then getting the BBC involved on on their coverage, wasn't it? And then get, yeah. getting them to do MotoGP and so on and so forth. Yeah, exactly, Gav. That um, yeah, that, that was it was such a weird time, and I think it's because it's sort of a niche sport and one of those sports where when you're in it and you know people, um, you you have to earn your respect, don't you? Over the years, yeah. we've all you know we've all sort of done that. Nearly had to do that again, um, not just with riding, but with with talking and broadcasting. You, you obviously you come in with your world championship, but you've got to then prove, haven't you, after the first year of using that, that you can actually broadcast and ask the right questions and things so you, you know what I'm talking about um but yeah I did it for three years with Sky and then it moved to the BBC and I was sort of left without a job so I said I didn't have an agent at the time and I said to my mom can you be my agent we'll have to change your name otherwise you'll look like a pushy mother so <laughs> changed the name from my name and I just had my normal name and you know you want to come to the place where all the bikes are so I kind of set up this meeting between Dorna and the BBC, and it all happened the next day. And, what and year yeah, was that, Susie? I think it was 2001 or 2002, maybe, 2002? Right. I think it's 2002, yeah, it was early doors. Because it started but on the, 2003 on the BBC, didn't it? Yeah, so it must have been 2002 then. Mm. And, we, and then 2003, we covered it in a sort of limited capacity, and it wasn't live, and I was doing the World Superbike and Grand Prix, uh, as it was then, um, and it was mad, you know, in terms of travel. It was we were just all over the place. Yeah, because I remember, and I remember we we uh, myself, Nick Harris, and Matt Roberts were doing the commentary, and you were topping and tailing mm-hmm. it. I remember over in Suzuka was the start of that year, and it was Kato's death, and that was the first yeah. race, wasn't it, for for BBC? Yeah. And obviously, what happened happened. It was awful. I don't, but I remember speaking to you and Belinda, um, who was the producer back then, about mm. what a awful day it was but I remember thinking god it's their first one that's going out and look at everything that's happening yeah well you know it was so tragic so Mm. desperately sad um but the BBC had taken on World Superbike really because of Carl Fogarty and and his popularity and and obviously Neil Hodgson it waned um, around then didn't it all the, the popularity of World Superbike after 2002 it dipped off then, didn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. No one watched yeah. it back then. Dropped away completely. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Carl retired the year they got it. And so they, they were open for, for MotoGP, well, for Jeep Grand Prix racing. And, yeah, that was the first race. And, um, I mean, that's racing, you know. You have to you have to cover, you cover it all. And, and that's that happens, unfortunately, very occasionally. So, yeah, that was how it started. But um, they went, you know, they went really well on BBC Two. It was, it was such a great sport for them, and regularly would have a massive switch on. Mm. So it always sort of switched on a million, on, which on BBC Two was very good. And then it would clock up to sort of one and a half million. And if they put it on BBC One, which they did sometimes, um, you know, it'd rack up to three, four million. So it was a great sport for them. I, just, I only wish that they'd left it on BBC One, really. Yeah, it was. It, I think it is. It, perfect for, for them on what how grandstand was when i say that let me just clarify that in terms of the viewing figures uh, and in terms of the popularity and getting it out there because then obviously you know television changed it has a few changed. years ago it's changed so uh, um unbelievably now it was at a crossroads and and here you know here we are all working for bt sport and, and absolutely loving it and and it's so for me and a lot of people say this 
it's so great to be able to cover the sport properly every single lap live yeah. every session the time that we have is immense isn't it it means that we're completely able to portray the sport as it should be instead of just sort of packaging everything into uh, you know a one hour thing around the race and this is the best coverage in terms of time and not going to blow smoke up our own asses but uh, the best coverage I've ever seen of, of the sport because yeah sheer sheer time and, and the, the great people that we're fortunate enough to work with you know like Colin and um, Michael. Michael and Michael yeah yeah Brilliant. And Keith. And, and Keith, Keith as well, yeah. And Keith. It's a great team, isn't it? The, the fact that we are genuine, all, we're all friends. But like, like you said, Susie, having that time, so you don't miss anything. We can do the in-depth interviews. We can, whilst, you know, if it's Colin and Michael commentating, me and Gav can be out in the paddock trying to find out some gossip. You're always there non-stop. The hours you put in, Susie, I've got to say this. I think people presume that the, the main presenter... You know, stands there, stitches it all together. Obviously, you're juggling a lot of things, but the work that goes in behind the scenes that nobody sees. I mean, you're there from Thursday onward, preparing for Saturday and Sunday. And I sit and watch you beavering away, and I'm like, that looks like hard work. But <laughs> you, you, but you genuinely have got such a passion for it. I think that's all that comes across on anyway on TV. But it's it's a genuine passion. It's a it's a proper love and. I think that's why we're all lucky, aren't we? You know, when, that's why we don't tra- we, we, we don't moan about the travel. You no, know, so you don't. You know, it's just like, so, hang on so a minute. Then my the question, glass is half full. My question off the back of that then is, obviously you went and did Formula One for, was it three years you did on Formula One? Yeah. I want to know the difference then, because people always, I'm sure they always ask you, but I want to know from a, a personal point of view, because we will have people who generally have a motorcycle persuasion listening to this now. And they'll yeah. think MotoGP's the bee's knees and everything. And a lot of them don't like Formula One. Some will. Some are, are, are both codes. But you've actually lived and breathed both codes. So what mm. what do you make of it? What What's the difference there? I, I've tried not to talk about this, actually. Right. Well, don't over you, the... I mean, you can say what, what, you know, don't have to go in depth on it. Is that... Go in depth, <laughs> Susie. Go on. <laughs> go in depth. But I think we should use this like a therapy session. <laughs> Um, right. So the difference for me is that every single person that works in MotoGP and every single person that comes to watch MotoGP is there because they absolutely... Can I swear on this? Yeah. Yes. They absolutely fucking love it. Oh, <laughs> go on, Susie. And it's it's just that, right? We all just absolutely love it. No one's there because it's a corporate thing or to be seen or... They're just there because they purely just obsessed with it. And Formula One, there's a lot more money involved. Um, and a lot of people that come to watch it, a lot of people are massive fans and they adore it. And their encyclopedic knowledge is amazing. And they're great people. But you also get a lot of hangers-on that go because it's a place to be seen. Yeah, yeah. That side of it that I just don't like. I'm, you know, I'm from Wolverhampton. don't like that kind of shit. Um, but that's... That's part of it, and it's it's one one of the reasons why there's so much money in it. It's one of the reasons why it's so massive, and I get that. But I struggled for the first year because even by people in my own team, I felt uncomfortable with. Um, and what we have between us is a massive level of trust, and that was quite hard to ascertain mm. in Formula because I was coming from, I suppose, um, 
I suddenly was the bike girl rather than just a broadcaster, a capable broadcaster. You know, I, I had to start all over again and um, under, under a big spotlight. And I found it quite tough because I like to go in quite gently and let things grow organically. And I, that didn't work um, in for the first year. I think the second and third year, we really got something rolling and it was and it was good. And I got on well with Eddie and, and David Coulthard and it worked really well for years two and three. You know, it was, it was good. It was a lot of fun and, and the trust sort of came, but it just took a while. So, the, what were, yeah, go on. Sorry, I was going to say, what were the drivers like compared to the riders? Were, were, they, were they similar? You know, because normally yeah. you, look at, you look at the drivers. In, you the, know, the, actually, Neil, in some ways, the access to the drivers in Formula One was a little bit better. All right. It, yeah, in some ways, because... Um, they had to, as part of their contract, do certain things. And the way that they would do the interviews meant you, you would get quite a lot of rolling interviews over the weekend. So I think you had really good access to the drivers. And I think they do that, did that. I mean, I don't know what they do now, but they did that very, very well. Um, in terms of the drivers themselves, I, I got on with them all. I think a lot of them were big MotoGP fans. Certainly Lewis was. And the interviews that I did with Lewis, I really enjoyed speaking to him and I got on with him really well. But I, I don't know how much of that was because actually it, it was in my advantage that I'd come from a biking background because he always asked me hmm. stuff about, you know, MotoGP and Valentino and a lot of the paddock did actually. Um, so I got on with the drivers really well. There wasn't, uh, I found um, Fernando Alonso was slightly elusive and you know, had quite an air about him and but generally, they were always very honest, really good to talk to. Um, so, you know, the same as our lot, the same as the MotoGP oh, lot. That's good to, good I mean, to the, hear. The character, I think in terms of characters, you know, there, there wasn't a, it wasn't sort of as laid back, maybe. The speak was a bit more corporate, so, you, you know. But it's that corporate thing, isn't it? It's the, the weight that the sponsors put on things um, that means they do the media because that they're paid, you know, almost they're paid to do the media. It's part of their contract, as you say. Yeah. Whereas I've been uh, just saying to, to Neil before, we're trying to get into with Valentino this week and it's not been easy to try and do it. Same for Mark Marcus, same for Andrea Vizioso. It's just not easy. Bear in mind they're all locked down and at home and not doing much else. And it's a bit like, I can't imagine this happening perhaps in Formula One where someone like Ferrari or their sponsor or yeah. whoever would just say, you're doing this, by the way. I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly. what it seems like to me. And obviously, from the media, what you want is access, because then you can ask you questions. Mm. And that, that's why I loved uh, Nicky Lauda. He was my absolute favourite person in the paddock, because he was so honest. And it, funny, really funny. I mean, Nicky, I got on with Nicky really, really well. And, you know, I had dinner with him several times and um, <laughs> had some funny dinners with him in Russia with quite a lot of vodka. Um, Standard. Standard in yeah. Russia. Standard Russia, yeah, where you just drink neat vodka. And I would uh, drink one and try and throw one in the plant pot or whatever because I just couldn't keep up. I had a night like that, actually, not with Russian, but with Mika Kalio. The Finns love it as well. The Finns, the Finns love a drink, don't they? Just in general, as you'll have found as well in Formula One. Because uh, well, a lot of Finns there, they, yeah. love, they, love a, they love a getting... I, I remember going for a night out with Mika Kalio. And they ordered three bottles of vodka for the table. I'm like, who else is joining us here? Yeah, there's no there's only six of us. Straight, isn't it? <laughs> Mental. So we're, like Kimmy, uh, Kimmy Raikkonen, when he's had a few drinks, you can't stop him talking. Oh, yeah. Well, I've seen him at, I've seen him at the... I've never... Obviously, never worked in Formula 1. I've seen him at... They used to do a Ducati Ferrari that, uh, in Madonna di Campiglio, and it, a sort of launch for the, the season ahead. 
in uh, in Italy on the ski yeah. slopes, and he was he just seemed permanently leathered. <laughs> Kimmy was like. <laughs> I used to, if I interviewed Kim, I would just talk to him about James Hunt and Barashin, and then you've got him wrapped around your finger. It was perfect. I, I love, though, how the Formula One drivers love and sort of respect MotoGP. It's great, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's it is. nice look, to see. Look at what Michael Schumacher did when he retired. Look what he wanted to do. He, yeah. he came, went and raced bikes, didn't he? Yeah, and he did. He was good. He did, he did he German was good. Championship, didn't he? He did some racing yeah. in the German Championship. Yeah. yeah, all of them. And I think you're right there. How often do we get a Formula One driver come across to the paddock? Uh, quite regularly. Uh, Lando Norris was one last year. I didn't realise how much of a Valentino Rossi fanboy he was. I'm, yeah. lo- I'm loving some of his old photos. I was, I was, from that day you know, on, I was properly supporting him through. And Lewis Hamilton doing all his tests with uh, Yamaha and what have you. It's amazing. It is amazing. And, and Lando's actually a massive breath of fresh air for Formula One. He's cracking character. You know, he's really fun. And mm. he's a bit more loose-lipped in interviews and, and more normal and just... Just quite vivacious. I, I like I like watching and listening to him. I think I think he's really great for their sport. He's he's just going to be a, a sensation. You know, like Max Verstappen came in and obviously has caused a huge yeah, stir. shakes it up. You need that, don't you? You need people who are coming in to rock the boat a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's what we've always had, isn't it? In MotoGP, we've always had those characters and and that and those rivalries then that kind of come through from that character. Because if you put yourself out there, you then become a target for those. Um, kind of uh, rivalries, especially if you if you putting it out there on and off track, which is obviously what Valentino did. Well, we saw that yeah. at the weekend, didn't we? When we're doing the greatest race, uh, the program that we're doing on BT Sport, and we saw the fact that rivalries have fueled MotoGP for a long time. Whether it was Valentino with Max, Sete, Jorge, Casey, uh, but then they all had internal rivalries, and then Marco Simoncelli rocking the boat with Jorge Lorenzo at the time, or then Mark Marquez has come in and properly upset the apple cart completely. Uh, I love that. I love that. It's a massive part of our sport, I think, uh, because uh, personality is not, you can't see what personality is like when someone's wearing a helmet and leathers and going around at 300 kilometers an hour. You can. I don't know, you get a, a personality come through through their riding styles and how much they are aggressive with each other on track. And rivalry is a massive part of any sport. But I think it, I don't know, I think it's something that comes through when you're putting your life on the line. I wonder, I wonder then, a question to you two is, who's the next person coming through that's going to take it to Marquez, rivalry-wise? You know, can you see anyone from Moto2 or anyone who's currently in the MotoGP class now, the rookies? Well, I think... You- if you look at last year's, um, the, the, the star of the show was Fabio, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he absolutely shone. I mean, I, I think we all knew that he was good, but there was still those questions of, yeah, but, you know, it's been fast-track, flipping egg. Um, somebody really, really believes in him. And then yes, last yesterday, last year, he, he put it all out there for us to see just how talented, how actually talented he was. And that he was, he was actually changing the bike and, you know, kind of helping, helping Yamaha uh, it, from, from the position that he was in. It wasn't coming from the factory boys. It was coming from Fabio and they admitted that, which is, which is astonishing. So I think, you know, I'd say that, he, that is Quartararo has shown that the talent in Motor 2 at the top end yeah, have all got something to offer. Do you agree, Neil? That that he's shown that he he won won two races. One of them got taken away from him in in, in Moto Two, but he's shown actually now the likes of your Mears and your Binders and your people yeah. who are coming through who've who've been at that top level. Jorge Martins, one I'm looking at who I really uh, rate seriously for the future. But for me, I'm looking at Fabio Quartararo and and 
mere of, yeah. of the ones it, I'm looking at. And it, it's not it's not always as obvious as you, as you think. Because when you say about Quattararo, mm. he, he didn't pull up that many trees. Yeah, he, he was yeah. clearly a talent in, in a pool of talented riders. But you wouldn't have said, oh, this kid's going to take it to Mark Marquez. There's absolutely no way. So that's why I'm, I'm always looking in that Moto2 pass right now, thinking, I wonder who the next guy is that is a bit of a rough diamond that just needs... I've said it before in commentary some riders go better with more power. Some riders don't, obviously, you know, so it's like, who, who is that rider? But you mentioned Binder. I'm a massive Binder fan. Mm. And the way he rides, the way he races, he's so calculated, aggressive at all the right times, sometimes a little bit too aggressive, but he's, he's, he's sort of, he's on that line, isn't he, of being a little bit, uh, talking about know, stepping over. <laughs> yeah, 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 not Darren, bloody hell. That, <laughs> We love Darren, his brother, but uh, yeah, he's he spends his he spends his time on the other side of the line, doesn't he? But um, it, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Perhaps this also maybe shows. Um, what do you think about this? That you get a talent, and I mean, obviously they're all hugely talented. You get that natural talent, and it only comes through to full fruition if it's packaged correctly. That's all right. Team, not just with the right technicals and uh, the right bike, but also the right team manager that's putting the head into place because it's so much about mental strength, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think a lot of it as well in, in, this, in this sport, but in all sports, but it's about timing. Timing yeah. to be on the right bike at the right time. I, I look at someone, for example, like Scott Redding, who went back to, to BSB and, and won the championship. And some people rate him, some people don't rate him, whatever. You can't deny what he's gone and done. And he's already had the, the podiums already in World Superbike. But you, he was on a Honda, for example, when it wasn't the bike to be on. Or he was on a Ducati when it wasn't the bike to be on. And it wasn't his time. And it probably won't won't necessarily. It depends on what Ducati do in the future. anyway. But it, so much can be about timing, can't he? And you can have a bag full of talent, as certain people have shown. If Fabio Quartararo had taken the... Um, I don't know, KTM, a, a right. KTM or an Aprilia, yeah. he might never have got there. And I think for someone like Polly Spargo, for example, who showed, you know, so much in Moto2, what he could do on a Yamaha, but then there wasn't an availability uh, for him in the factory squad at, at, and he's gone to KTM. Will he ever get a chance again? Those kinds of things. And so much is about being the right place at the right time. And Well, uh, you look at Zarco. Yeah. You know, Zarco comes into MotoGP, nearly wins his first it, race, yeah. you know, and then has a stunning three seasons on the Yamaha. We all then rate him. We all say, this man, you know, he can take it to Marquez, potential MotoGP world champion. He signs for KTM, doesn't get on with the bike, and struggles to score a point. You know, and now look where he is. It's, it's bizarre to say this. He's now in the Avintia Ducati team. Mm. You know what I mean? You're like, where did that go wrong? You know, really. It's such a premium, though, isn't it, in this sport? Every season is absolutely crucial. And, and it's like playing chess and getting your career path right. I mean, look at you on the Don Team Ducati, Neil. If you'd been in a different team, your yeah. career could have ended up differently, couldn't it? Yeah, you never you never know, do you? You know, you, you, you don't. All I know is whenever you get in the premier class against the best riders in the world, you need everything Everything around you has got to be right. So it's not only the right manufacturer. You need the right team. The team needs to be funded. And then you also need a little bit of luck along the way, not yeah, to get yeah. an injury or something silly yeah. like that. You need to be the right nationality to come with, you know, to, to please the sponsor that's in that team. And that's just how it works. Yeah. 
and everything, you know, and every gap on the track, you've got to take it. You know, you it's full on 100%, isn't it? And then on top of that, not just the racing and, and everything that goes along with that, you've also got all the media things that go with it. It's a massive circus. I mean, it's a big, massive deal to be a MotoGP rider. It's it's incredible opportunity. But with that comes such a, a big amount of pressure that you've got to have it all going on physically and also, you know, going back to the whole mental thing, haven't you? I mean, yeah, you've got to be so strong. Andrea Ioni, for example, where we started this conversation, an absolutely brilliantly fast, talented rider, but with a lot of other stuff that's gone on over the last few years that have seen him move down the paddock, really, where he shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. So we, you know what? we know he's got the pace, don't we, to be a top runner in a, in a factory team. And yeah. it's been he's he's himself has cost him his rides at points. Yeah, just just moving on from it. We are yeah. in a golden era. We love, you know, we've we've said it. We love our job. The racing at the moment really close. Yes, Marquez is dominating a bit, but we're having some cracking races. One question to you, Susie, is over the years, all these years you've been involved in the sport. What's been has there been a standout year? Has there been a golden year for you where you got? I tell you what. That year in 2001, for me, at World Superbikes, GP, what's, what's been your golden era for loving the sport? Standout year. Oh, goodness. Um, I think, first of all, that we are all really lucky to be in this era. This yeah. whole Valentino Rossi, you just went through it, all the rivalries that he's had, and they've all been incredible to watch, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, to be a part of that has been magnificent. I think the, the unexpected years, the ones, I, I mean, one of my favourite years really was Nicky Hayden winning yeah. the championship. Yeah. 2006 is just full of, wasn't it? I mean, they, it was just kind of the highs and lows of that year throughout the top teams was extraordinary. And then I always, uh, I always look back at him on the, uh, watching somebody's dream come true in front of you is magical especially now with what's happened. Yeah. So God, you'll, you'll oh, never get a better example of watching someone's dream come true in front of you. Eh? When, he no. crosses, when he crosses that line, what we all witnessed after that, you know what, you don't, you, didn't, you, don't, you don't need to have won a world championship. You don't need to have been the best in the world at something. You watch that race, you watch those celebrations, and you, you can personally know what it feels like because that, is the best celebration I've ever seen. The, the probably the most emotion I've ever seen. I bloody I've got goosebumps just saying the words now because I can picture it. And it all went. It was for the depths as well of the Estoril, which has been been a couple of weeks before where he'd been taken out, and all the the twists and turns. Of 2006 was was immense. It, I have to agree, Susie. For me, it's, yeah. It, you could you if you put if you put that out as a film, people would be like, well, this isn't realistic. You know, yeah, that's true. Happen, that's just ridiculous. But it did happen, and it happened week after week. The stuff went on with, you know, engines blowing and this and that. And, oh, this is so unusual. And it just lurched from one drama to another. And then those pictures of his face, you see in his eyes, his heart breaks and comes back together again in, yeah. in, in a moment. And you just see that pure joy. And then his bloody dad as well, you know. I know, I know. It's just... I've got tears rolling down my face talking about it. I know. Yeah, no, it does. I've got I've, it's goosebumps every time whenever I, I think about that year and that scene. There was the, the one, the thing for me is then I look, and we were talking about this the other day, we were talking about what have some of the great years been? And 
2013 was one, Mark coming up and rocking the boat and everyone's thinking it's going to be Jorge yeah. and Valentin. He comes and he wins as a rookie. And then I think, well, 2015 was immense, wasn't it? Because that was, we had some amazing races that year. Not just the controversy of Malaysia and the Rossi and Marquez head to head, but there were some fantastic races. And then 2016, actually, there were, was it 26? When was it? There were nine different winners. That's what, what I'm trying to say is, then I started coming up with basically three of the last four years where although Mark has won, the racing... Yeah, exactly. it's yeah. been immense. Well, do you know what yeah. my mate, my mate Dicky? Um, oh, Di what about Dicky, Susie? Hang on, it, you've gone silent. You make a word. What about Dicky? You know, Dicky's the Port Scratchings guy. Oh, that was funny, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. So my story, mate, Dickie, story, right, you've started stories now. You must finish them. <laughs> so my mate, so, so my mate Dicky, who's just like the nicest bloke you'll meet. He, um, he's got a soft spot for Susie Perry. Now, bear in mind, I'm going to back that up by saying every bike show I go to, every bike dealership I go to, wherever I'm out and about, the number one question is, oh, my God, what's Susie Perry like? You are so lucky you get to work with her. So I'm used to this. I'm, I'm pretty used to it, right? So my mate Dickie's like, oh, my God, I love Susie so much. She's amazing, this, that, and the other. And he's always talking about her. And uh, we're in the club having a few pints. The, right, where right, I live. 50 cent. <laughs> yeah, no, in the club, as in working men's club, it's like that. <laughs> you find me in I'm, the club. I'm, I'm basically getting cheap ale in Drayton Bassett's drinking club. Right, anyway, and he, and, and he goes, uh, he goes, I just, I just want to give her something. Right, obviously, don't laugh. So he's like, what can I, he went, I'll tell you what. And then, so he, he buys a packet of pork scratchings and says, Give this to her. And I'm like, yeah, it was if, you know. And he's like, no, seriously. And he grabs hold of my hands and he look me, looks me in the eyes and he's like, Neil, you need to give this to her tomorrow. Because I was saying, oh, I'm, I'm flying. I think, I can't remember where we we're going to. Hooray. It's Qatar. It's important. It's Qatar. Oh, it was Qatar. Yeah, sorry. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, so I turned up, turn up in Qatar. <laughs> and Muslim, we, we Muslim the... country, we'll point out, obviously. And quite strict. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And um, so... <laughs> We're driving out to the track and I'm rustling around in my rucksack and I go, oh, Susie, my mate Dickie fancies you and he's bought you a present. And Susie's like, oh, that's very sweet. That's, like, you know, all really impressed. <laughs> so I, I lean in my bag and then obviously I'm sat in the back seat as always. Susie's, Gav's driving, Susie's sat in the uh, shotgun. And I lean forward and I pass her the pork scratchings. Well, then, tell me, your reaction was what, Susie? <laughs> we were live on Instagram as well at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think I gratefully received them, but then just reminded you that I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> oh, man. It, was, it was the ultimate. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. So many levels. It was funny. So anyway, where I was going with Dickie, Dickie said to me after he watched the, the greatest race mm. on Sunday, and he went, oh, it's just a shame, Neil. We don't have races like that nowadays. And I went, what are you what? talking about? He went, you know what I mean? Like those races back then were stunning. And I went, Hang on a minute. The 2019 season, Marquez won 12 races. I know that, OK? But how many of them went to the last corner? How many times did he get beat in the last corner as well by Dobby yeah, and Rins? Silverstone, for example. Silverstone, exactly. You, you, I mean, you won't get a better finish than that. I said, what you do when you look back, you look at the Rossi wins, some of them Rossi wins, which were stunning. But then, actually, the next four races, Rossi won. And they weren't stunning races. He won by two seconds comfortably. You know what I mean? And, and often, the often, often what he did is he controlled, he played, and he 
yeah. played. He made a show of it, which is that without a doubt. But and then last couple of laps would put the hammer down. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. like I was saying, it, it's easy to look back and think, oh, they were great races. But as we know, the top ten, the top fifteen across the line in the last three or four years are the closest they've ever been. And obviously, it's down to Dorna and changing the rules and making it a real level playing field. But the racing's been immense. They're, all the seasons are peppered with these really special races, which is what, you know, keeps us all giddy and not, you know, and people say, oh, if they look at the results, they go, Marquez is dominating. Yeah, but watch the races because they are, you know, exceptional. He's not doing it easily. Look at Phillip Island 2017. How good was that race? I mean, the, well, there's, oh, just, yeah, so, there's yeah. just so many of them over the last couple of years. Like Neil said, last year, the, the ones that went down to the last corner, the nine different winners the, the year before that or whatever it was. And uh, yeah, we are in a, a good era for racing because it's because more than ever, and I give, give credit to Dorna for this, which sometimes we don't always do, do we? Do we? Um, is that they've done a good job in equaling the championship? You have yeah. to say, yeah, they've done a, they've done an incredible job with their rules and equaling the championship. And when you have riders coming into Park Ferme that have got marks on their leathers, it doesn't get any closer than that. No. No, and, and Susie, I've got some, I've got some quick fire questions oh, this for was, you. This was, this oh, was. I'll just point that out, Susie. Um, I point out that um, Neil did his homework last oh, night for the first time. For the first time in any interview. In any, I mean, we've been doing this together now since 2014 on BT Sport, and for the first time, Neil's prepped. Well, Hang he just on. because Neil takes great delight in just answering questions. That's what he loves, yeah, isn't he it? Loves it. Yeah. He loves it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Right, Susie. Yeah. Right, I just want, I want, I don't want a big explanation. I just want one word answers. All right. Is that all right? No, 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 you know what I mean. Right, so favourite rider of all time? Valentino Rossi. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. I love this Um, Do you ride bikes? Yes. What bike have you got? Or do, or do you ride? What bike do you use? A Triumph Bonneville. Nice. Um, what's your favourite drink? Uh, gin and tonic. Who's your favourite pundit? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say what Michael Lavater. What a <laughs> wait a sec, wait a sec. You've just asked, what's your favourite drink? Who's your favourite pundit? Is this a chat-up line? <laughs> no, was, Can Dickie have your telephone number? What? No. I'm only joking. That's it, that's it, that's it. I'm only joking. I'm Is only that joking. all the homework you've done? That was it? Oof, I'm starting to sweat. I tell you, that was like... I tell you what, that was like... Who used to do them really intense interviews on BBC or ITV? David Frost. Was David Frost. David, it, was, it was. It was like David Frost. It really wasn't, Neil. <laughs> was it not? But you, you, but you've never been challenged, Susie, so much. You were challenged then. I could tell. I could feel. I could sense it down the phone. I was under pressure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Gav just mentioned David Frost. Yeah. And uh, do you know who he is, Neil? Yeah. Yes. Good. Um, he once came round to my house. Did he play for Manchester United? Oh, <laughs> I knew it. Go on, go on, go on, go on. So you know he used to, in his later years, he did through the keyhole. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, so I was on that, and um, so they came round to my house, and oh, they did all... you were doing, you know, were doing your house, or you were doing the guessing? You were the one... No, no, I wasn't working, I was actually the guest. Oh, right, yeah, cool. 
So um, they did like the whole who would live in a house like that, blah, blah, blah. Got little bike things and, and treasure hunt things. And I don't know what they did, but I can't remember. But afterwards, I wasn't, hadn't been very well. It was in 2009. So instead of going to the studio, David Frost was coming around to my house. Amazing. And my mum was at my house because she'd been sort of looking after me. And so I said to obviously the coming filming today but through the keyhole. It's just the bit where they give you the key and they talk about your career and all that. So we set up the kitchen sort of diner area where it all looked nice and everything. And my mum was so excited that David Frost was, because he's legend, you know, one yeah, of our... Gro- broadcasting legend. Incredible that he's coming to my house. So she goes, I, I'm going to go out and get some cakes. I went, yeah, all right then, mum. So I lived in Chiswick in, uh, in West London. So off she goes, she comes back with a massive big bag of just everything, every cake you can possibly imagine. And it's minutes before he's arriving. She's putting them out and everything. And she's got, I had to look, I designed my kitchen to be sort of quite contemporary. So it was quite slick. So there wasn't clutter or anything. It was, it was really nice. I loved my kitchen in Chiswick. It was beautiful. The light came in through the glass at the end. And my mum had been out with the cakes. She'd bought a load of doilies. Brilliant. Oh no! Brilliant. Yeah, what a doily! And she put all the doilies out on my on my beautiful plates with the. And I was like, Oh, mum, you can't! I'm not. No, not doilies. It's not Victorian times. And she was like, No, but it looks really nice. And then the doorbell goes, and David Frost walks into my kitchen, whereupon there's um a smorgasbord of cake and doilies. But he'd be happy about the doilies because that's his generation anyway. He'd be like, oh, respect, nice set oh, of doilies. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Oh, she's cracked out the doilies. Thank you very much. Yeah. Did Richard, you pretend Richard like Nixon you... never cracked out the doilies. Hey, <laughs> Susie, did you pretend that your mum was your mum or your manager then? <laughs> do, do you ever get confused? You go, oh, manager, mum. Oh. You know what, my mum, she, she still works for me. And she runs my website. She does all my accounts. She's like my personal manager. She's fantastic. Oh, oh love and you, she's mom. lovely. And yeah, she's we lovely. love it when she comes to some of the races. And your dad, obviously. We love your dad as well. But my mum oh. can't stop talking, can she, when she comes to the race? She's so excited. She's so obsessed with MotoGP. She's literally she, watched every race since, two, since 1997. She's the only person that loves Valentino Rossi more than you, Susie, I think. <laughs> no, she, she's not. She's not. She does. She's a massive fan, and that's I love that about her. I, I, I'm actually a little bit annoyed that we haven't had Valentino yet on our greatest race. So, yeah, is it, well, we're, we're, is we're it trying. We're trying. We're hoping to get him this weekend. That's the the plan. But we will have to. Uh... Do you want me to text him now? Yeah, Can if I you don't, him? if you would do that, that would be a, a little right, bit of a yeah. help. I'm, I'm working actually, on. I'm not thought. I'd not thought. Do you want? Do you want me to set it up so we do get him on one of these calls as well? Or yeah, if you don't mind, I'm sure he'd definitely do this podcast. I'm almost yeah. certain. Yeah, no, I'll be up for it. it. Um, right, I've I'll got. Look. I've got to. If you could see what's going on in my lounge now, so you know oh, I'm yeah. locked down in France. My lodger's just walked in to ask me if I want a cup of coffee, and I'm really grateful that he's here. Otherwise, I'd be locked down on my own with all my cats, and I would literally go mad, and they would probably eat me. But um, he's walking in saying tea or coffee. But I want you to say it out loud because this is this is what I have every day. Listen, go on. Do you want tea or coffee? It's a Geordie. I want the Geordie. It's a Geordie. Hey, hey, man. How are you doing? Top of the morning to you, fella. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, what a God. goo. What a goo. Yeah. And the French lockdown. It's the 16th. It's the 16th, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I thought 17th. No. No. See, I'm learning Geordie. Good. Oh, I love it. 
Yeah. What a beautiful you, match. You should learn it as well, Neil. <laughs> yeah. I'm there. Hi. Um, okay. Su- Susie, I- I've got a yeah. question uh, to, to, in a way, wind us up, but not. Are we going to get any racing this year? Me, myself and Neil are at different ends of the spectrum on this one. Uh, so what do you think in terms of uh, there being any MotoGP for us this year? What's your professional take on it? Or your unprofessional well, from, one? From what I've read, um, we're going to get a truncated season, I think, sort of September time. But having said that, I don't, I don't think anyone can at this moment say that because we don't know what's going to happen in the world. And it's a global sport. And obviously, different areas in the world are being affected by this virus at different times. And you can't pull everybody together, you know, if they're all at different stages. So I, I want to go racing as much as the next person. But if it's not the right time, then we shouldn't do it. So I don't know whether we're going to get any races or not. I hope we are. But it's not, you know... And we all know how much we love racing. It's not the most important thing right now, is it? No, not at all. No, not at all. Absolutely. But I think that from that, I sort of, you're more down Neil's route. Neil's basically saying there will be no racing this year. Well, That's... basically, what I'm saying is they're doing everything they can to get a, a set of races together, mm. whether it's six races, eight races, whatever. They're doing absolutely, we know in their power, they will do everything to pull together something and call it a championship. But whether they will be allowed to do that, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's it's not down to them, is it? And ultimately, I think what we've seen is they've actually, having looked at a lot of other sports, I think they've actually been quite proactive and done things quite well up to now. Is that that fair to say? I think Donna did an amazing job, first off, of calling things straight away and quickly. And they reacted much faster than a lot of other sports who was dragging their heels and not really seeing the bigger picture. Now, whether that was because they're based in Spain and um, over in Europe, I think the picture was clearer earlier than it was in the UK. Mm. And that sounds stupid with all the communication, but it really felt like that. Like being here, I was shouting at my mum and dad to stay in. And they were like, oh, I'm just popping out and doing this. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not going to Pilates, mum. You're staying in. You can do it online. And, you know, she thought I was going mad. But the following week it all completely changed and everybody was much more in that mindset of my goodness no this is really quite shocking so yeah it's not it's not down to Dorna it's down to what's happening in the world so you know we'll have to wait and see and if we miss a year we miss a year um and it'll be all the more exciting next year won't it but yeah and it creates all sorts of unknowns in terms of contracts and who writes where and all these sorts of things isn't it if these this year's contracts aren't fulfilled and so it is It's a, a weird time for everyone, but you're right. There are bigger things to worry about. Ultimately. Certainly. Are. Yeah. At which point I would like to say before you cut me off. No, you I'm, know, not going to every- cut, I'm not going to cut you off. Go on. Uh, just stay home, stay safe, stay well. And lots of love from me. Oh, I'm sure. Oh. I'm sure that'll be gratefully received across the board. Um, Neil, have you got any final points to, that you'd like to... Uh, any any big questions you'd like to put Susie's way before we uh, no, let I, her go and have her tea or coffee? No, I think I, I, think, I, think I pushed her to the absolute limits there with my little <laughs> quick fire round. So she's going to need to have a coffee with her Geordie mates and just to calm down and chill out. And uh, No, all I want to say is thanks, Susie, for doing this. Um, we, miss, we miss you, me and Gav. Obviously, yeah, we, we usually have our... Uh, weekly fix so you take care over there and if there's anything you need call Gav and we'll see, and, <laughs> and we'll see you I'll, on the telly on Sunday yeah I've got in fact I'm I'm literally now going to go and uh, try and 
make myself a home studio outside and film some links for Sunday's greatest race. Is it on the same time? Is it on 10 o'clock on, on BT Sport 1? It's like you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, remind, just reminding you that, you know, I'm back in the room. Yeah, no, no, uh, it is the same time on Sunday. So we look forward to seeing you there and hopefully at a racetrack in the not too distant, but uh, it doesn't sound like any of us are that optimistic about it anyway. But uh, take care of Clive and the rest. Thank you. <laughs> uh, how, yeah, thank you very much. How is Clive? Clive is um, fantastic. He thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. And Gingy, is that? Gingy's, yeah, Gingy's next to me now. Uh, he's going more senile by the day, but he's 17 and wow. gorgeous. They're all good, thank you. All my 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 bunch of cats. Brilliant. Uh, right, so we will talk to you uh, soon. Take care. Well, I'm sure we'll be speaking over this weekend anyway. So uh, thank you so yeah. much for talking to us. Alrighty. Have a nice cup Cheers, of tea Susie. or coffee. Nice Thanks. Put a vodka in it. Chuck a vodka in it. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Dirty. Is that a d is that, oh, dirty chai? No, it's not really, but I'm going to rename it. Have <laughs> <laughs> you never had a dirty chai? I, well, I had, a well few, I had a few in I India. Got some yeah, I got, no, it's I got some cream for that. It, it's chai tea with an oh, espresso kit. Oh, really? Oh, bloody hell. Oh, wait, wait a second. Bag. Oh, they call that, there's one in Hong Kong where they call it, they do one where they tip it in. Oh, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Is it no, good? No, it tastes really good. All right, I might have to, uh, I'll, I'll have a look at that one. I, when oh. we next get together, I'll make you both a dirty chai. Right, okay. We. Yeah. Deal with you, lads. Done. Right. <laughs> Right, cheers, Suze. Yes. I'm sorry to leave you with him. <laughs> with that image in his head. Right, bye. Bye. Oh, that was nice, wasn't it? Nice little catch-up. Do you know what? It's only when you've, you spend an hour talking to Susie that I realise how much I've missed her this winter. God. Do you know, as well, I was thinking whilst Susie's talking and you were talking, I'm like, we could do a, we could do a 24-hour podcast with Susie. Well, that's we what I was sort of thinking. Many. I think we got into about an hour there. So I don't know whether to put it all out or to cut bits out. No, we'll just put it all out and uh, hope for the best, eh? How about that? What have you got in store for the rest of your weekend? Well, like I said, I've uh, I've cracked this non-drinking. I've... I've managed to not have a drink for three days. I'm officially clean, sober. So I've got, you know, the next 24 hours to get through and then I'm, I'm just going to hit it this weekend. When you see me on BT Sport on Sunday, you'll go, I'll tell you what, Neil looks a bit rough. Do you know why that is? Because I am. No. Um, no, nothing really planned, to be honest. I'm going to go for a walk today with Vic. Um, Your government-prescribed exercise? important yeah, to get exactly. in every single day and um, what will you what i'm interested in i've got a lot of stick for having a um bookcase in the background of my shots on the greatest race uh which is it is just what's there if you wouldn't put a bookcase there ever if you wanted one but it's just no it was downstairs Right. What do you want me to go on? What are you saying? I'm, are you going to be on the sex sofa? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I'll be on the orange uh, leather sex sofa. Um, but what I'll do is for you. Shall I put? Shall I change what's behind the We've diffuser? I mean, We're I saw the diffuser. I got a message off uh, someone who said, uh, "There he is, sophisticated man of the world. <laughs> Look at him with a right, sense diffuser." 
I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna move that. I'm gonna put something else there to make you laugh. So I'm not gonna tell you what it is. You're just gonna have to watch. Um, hang on, let me just do the promo here. You're gonna have to watch live, ten o'clock, BT Sport One on Sunday, the greatest race, presented by Neil Hodgson, also including Gavin Emmett and Susie Perry. Yeah, I preferred Susie's. I preferred Susie's yeah. version anyway. Yeah, I'm crap on it. Uh, no, uh, fantastic as always, uh, Neil Hodgson. Uh, you have a fantastic rest of weekend, and I will speak to you on uh, Sunday if you're listening to this. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll be speaking to him live on the TV. So uh, yeah, hopefully. Uh, Isn't that weird? What? That you know, you'll be speaking to me live on TV from on home. TV and, next, which is uh, and that'll be sort of broadcasted around the country and people watches. It's yeah, it's, yeah. Still can't understand how it works, but anyway, go on. It's is magic. It's all held together by uh, angel chewing wings gum and chewing gum. <laughs> it's completely true. Uh, right, cheers, Neil. Take care right, and thank Love you everybody you, for listening. And we will speak to you again very soon indeed to uh, keep going with our our lockdown chats. Ciao, ciao. 